What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we are doing another roundtable discussion, talking hardcore. So stay tuned for that. Please support the podcast by subscribing to it wherever you listen to it. Also, please take the time to like it, rate it, and review it, and share it with your friends. If you want to go the extra mile, you can go to patreon.com slash 185milesouth and become a monthly Patreon. There are bonus podcasts for every interview podcast, so check that out. The Patreons are my personal heroes, and they keep this podcast alive. Also, there is a playlist for every podcast, so you can go to 185milesouth.com. Click that playlist link and check out the songs behind the pod. And also, I think this is the last week I'm going to have the store up. So if you want to grab a 185 mile south beanie, go ahead and handle business. Click that merch link on the website and uh, get it before I close that stuff because mail order is sorry. And let's get on with the pod. Hundred eighty-five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we're doing another roundtable discussion. We are talking punk and hardcore, and uh, yeah, that's what's up. Help me out. You know him. You love him. He's episode one. He's the legend, Joe Rivas. What's up, Joe? Hey everybody, how how are things? Hopefully good, huh? Also up and out, the best dressed man on the pod. It is episode six, Daniel Sant. What's up, Daniel? Hello, hello, hello. No delay here. Uh, <laughs> also helping out, the smartest guy on the pod, and uh, a future guest. Episode uh, uh, one hundred eighty. <laughs> episode <laughs> sometime in the future. It is Ben Edge. AKA Ben Merlis, AKA Bedge. What's up, Ben? What's going on? That's what's <laughs> up. Appreciate that. All right. Uh, we got a bunch of topics this time around. And just for everyone out there, if you want to send us topics, you want to send questions, go ahead and do that. It is 185 miles south at gmail.com. That's the best way to do it. You can hit us up on social media too, but uh, send it to the email is the easiest way for it to get saved. And Ben, you had the first topic and maybe you want to uh, lay it out there and explain it. Ignorant riffs. What is the origin story of this and how can music be ignorant? Okay. <laughs> Do you want to elaborate any more or no? Oh, I was just wondering, like I started hearing this people refer to not the lyrics or they're referring to the music itself as ignorant sometime around, I don't know, 10 years, 10 or 15 years ago. And it just made me think like, so, well, how can music be ignorant? Like, like if you play an A chord followed by a G chord followed by a C chord, like that's ignorant. Like, how is that even possible? Like ignorant is being, is, you know, thinking and saying stupid shit. That's what I always thought ignorant meant. So I'm just wondering, how did it start? Who were the first bands it was applied to? And, and what, how would you define it? Like an ignorant riff or an ignorant part of a song? Well, when this topic came across, Joe had a, a question that I thought was absolutely perfect for this. Joe, do you want to do you want to repeat that? Or I don't I? remember exactly what I said, but 
you're just like, what the fuck is an what ignorant the, riff? Yeah. What the fuck is an ignorant riff? Yeah. That's yeah. pretty much what I said. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the same question. Anyway, I just think it's hilarious that, you know, Ben, you wrote a book on hip hop and you're basically just like questioning an adjective. It's just slang, right? Like, it's like, oh, that person's cool. How, how can you say he's cool? Like, he's not cold. It's just an adjective, right? Like someone just decided to use this word as like, you know, interchangeable of brutal, right? Well, it, it, when you say it to someone who's very much in the know in hardcore, you know, like you've been around a long time, you've seen things. When someone says something, oh, fuck, that's ignorant, you know, it means that feet will be smashing faces and hands will be flailing back to that kind of riff because you know it's like this is gonna this is gonna create some really hard moshing. Right. So then in and that, in that isn't it just interchangeable then with like brutal? Right. Brutal or that's hard or yeah, it's yeah. hard. Well if we're gonna really get into like the yes. colloquial terms that are used within our little world, brutal like represents even more of a like a metallic edge. I would think, whereas ignorant represents more of a kind of bouncy, like, I don't know. It's all what it means to you, isn't it? Really? I think that's fair. Like brutal. You just assume that it's maybe drop tuned and a lot of distortion. Yeah. (laughs) Joe, is this making any more sense? (laughs) Yeah. So it's just, it's just a new clever term. So it's, it's like, it's like, uh, Yeah. That's what I think. Who is who is the most ignorant band of all time? Who is actually not an ignorant band? Um, I don't know. <laughs> That's the interesting <laughs> Come on, question. Retaliate? Is it retaliate the answer? I don't think we're the top of any list. Have you seen all these twenty twenty lists? Retaliate's um, always the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. Daniel, what do you think? What's the most ignorant band ever? I mean, like if in, using it in this aspect, it would be like Hatebreed, right? Like they're the band that that brought the mosh in every song and like really changed the game. I, I would say bands that are way more <laughs> that are way more even, like a bulldoze or something like that. That is just like you know, if you are anywhere on the dance floor where there's room to move, you are being smashed because those riffs and topics perhaps where it's all about smashing people and whatnot can even add on to the ignorant riff with the ignorant vocal (laughs) with the ignorant lyrics you know perhaps i mean i guess that's fair you're you're tracing the the term back to like basically the origin of of beatdown which like bulldoze would be considered so i mean that might make sense yeah Yeah. it, it it literally you know the it took the hate breed model and went now we can make this way more uh about well, those predates hate breed yes but um you you know what i mean like because the fast is not as important you know right like, right and that is the wild thing about bulldozers like they actually have a lot of tempos but like they go from like slow and then they hit you a slower and then sometimes they hit you a slower. And then there's but a sometimes bounce. when we're talking about like these super ignorant riffs, 
it is literally minimalism in the mosh part. It's taking everything down to the base level of just, you know, just smash, smash, smash. Yeah, you know what I mean? You probably, you probably described it like as, as accurate as possible when you're like, you know that someone's getting smashed no matter what, no matter who's there. Because it's like a lot of times, like a beat down show, there'll be like, you know, 20 kids in the crowd, but it's like, you know, six of them are 25 foot horseshoe. <laughs> right, right, right. It's a giant horseshoe. And like, there's definitely someone's in the crowd kill and you're going to get hurt like more yeah. so than if there was like 50 people moshing. Yes, definitely. And you know, <laughs> you know, when the band is setting up and you see that ESP. You're like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah, you see ESP and a PV head. I'm gonna a crate, a crate, <laughs> crate, fucking <laughs> speaker. You know, you're like, oh shit, this is uh, this is gonna be some ignorant riffs. Maybe some mesh shorts or thrown in there. Absolutely horrible. Yeah, well, that's that's all subjective, Joe. I would, you know, like <laughs> I, I think that, like, for the it, this is my personal opinion, but for like the the big mosh bands and like the beatdown bands, like the ones that aren't, you know, super standout, like most bands in that genre are pretty competent, you know, like yeah, it's, that's true. I, 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 will, I will give you that. Right. Where I think that there's other genres where like, you know, there's such a wide spectrum between like the greats and the, you know, the terrible, you yeah. know, youth crew being easily able to look at as that, you know, like the difference between a great youth group band and a terrible one is like miles, you know, yeah. where like beat down bands, like eh, it's pretty close to the middle. Like there's, there's not a lot of standard deviation. Lot, lots of good drummers in that, in that world. That's true. That's true. You know, you got to get the, the, the shark double kick drum with the shark cage action. Do they do the shark cage? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> The, the rack that holds the rack. The rack oh, holds. oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Dude, I always feel real. I always feel like a lot of the beat down and 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 uh, igno fans are the ones that have like, yo, my cousin knows this guy who's a good drummer, and he's just like some Juilliard dude that they just roped in. Like, play this, make it sound more Neanderthal, and you know you can flourish on other parts of the song. <laughs> Right, but that guy's stoked. It was like either playing that like band that can play shows and have dudes mosh, or you know, playing a Metallica cover band. Oh yeah, there's no disrespect to going to this genre. It fills up lots of my record collection. Yeah. And wear this basketball jersey that has an area code on it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I love basketball jerseys. Basketball jerseys and tank tops, like they look good on every body type. In my opinion, you know, you can be like a giant fat guy, you know, you can be like a buff dude. You can be a skinny person. Like everybody looks good. So bring it back. What's up? Um, <laughs> do we, Bedge, do you feel like we've hashed out this uh, topic enough or do you, yeah, do you, you want to riff I, on? No, I feel like uh, ignorant riffs are well represented. All right. <laughs> awesome. Um, and, and if anyone listening has any other you know, take on it. Some take on that. Be sure yeah. to let us know. Yeah. And you should let us know like what the best ignorant riff band is, I guess. Well, the most, no, the, what the best ignorant riff is just the riff. Like king let's of, narrow it down to one riff. The king of igno riffs. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I'm, I'm with it. I want to know. I want to know. Um, okay. Well, making a hard right turn. 
to something else. Um, it's another band topic. He was asking, do bands like TSOL, Adolescence, and the Zero Boys, who occupy the gray area between hardcore and punk, do they deserve their own genre description? And Ben, let me shoot it to you because I got to go close my windows. Okay, so I'm actually working on a on, on an article right now about this very topic with uh, Daniel Weitzman, who wrote for Flipside in the early '80s as Shredder, and he co-wrote the book Hardcore California, which came out in 1983. He was a published author at the age of either 16 or 17, so he's got a lot of years on me. But he like he loves the idea that these early most of these bands were like 1978 to 81 California bands. Uh, Zero Boys obviously influenced by that stuff. Um, the idea that that these bands they kind of deserve their own genre designation, like they don't like hardcore kids look at them and they go, "Oh, those are punk bands," and then punk people look at them and they go, "Oh, those are hardcore bands." Like, like we don't want to claim them, and like. I think that they have like their own sort of there's a there are musical similarities between these bands to the point where I think like it's totally warranted to, to put them in the same box. And so, you know, I came up with the term 1.5 because punk equals one hardcore equals two. And these are the bands in between like 1.5ers. And so, um, you know, uh it's like the the basically the problem that we're coming up with, you know, we're talking about the history of a lot of these bands and how they kind of spread out throughout the United States and Canada, uh, DOA and Canadian subhumans being, being two of them as well. But like the hardest thing to do is to try to figure out what the line would be between punk and then this punk and this genre, let's 1.5 is what we're calling it. And then the line between 1.5 and hardcore like where does one begin and the other one end like obviously it gives us a we have a we have a greater area to we have a we now have a third category to throw bands into but then we also have these two we have two more borders that we've created in doing so so i don't know what you guys's take on it is do you think it's like a stupid idea and like all these bands should just be considered punk or hardcore and like let's call it a day or, or there, if there's anything like, you know, worthy of, um, you know, creating new terminology for all this. Well, Daniel, Daniel jump in. Uh, yeah. What I would say is it, it's always been a sliding scale, right? You know, many of the bands that we classify now potentially as being punk were hardcore at the time, you know, termed hardcore, you know, and it, as this thing of ours evolves and moves on the, the subcategories within uh, sometimes blend. It's almost like, uh, you know, when people are putting animals into subcategories and whatnot, uh, like an amphibian. <laughs> I thought you were to say red meat, white meat. <laughs> they but go vegetarian it, people. Yes. <laughs> and it just it's just a sliding scale thing where um at the time TSOL was, you know, hardcore, but it it was attracting punks, weirdos, new romantics, goths because of 
the reference points and the makeup and the and just you know they were the big thing too that lots of people were coming around to go see i think it is a really interesting question but would these bands at the time have aligned themselves as being the same at the time they may have thought they were very different from each other you know what i mean well compared to the first wave of like let's say los angeles punk rock you know like it is hardcore punk for sure right like it's it's edgier, more aggressive. The crowds are more aggressive. The shows, you know, from all reporting are more aggressive. Yeah. But if you look at some of the stuff, like, you know, the TSOL, the self-titled is like 81. The Zero Boys LP is 82. I know they have seven inches that predate that. Um, you know, comparing them, the Adolescence, I think, is 81. The first, yeah. the Blue LP. So yeah. if, you, if you're looking at those in the context of like, are these punk bands or are they hardcore bands? It's 1981. Well, the Minor Threat put out both their seven inches in 81. You know, so like if you're looking at a national level and comparing these bands sonically versus Minor Threat, you know, Minor Threat is a a faster band, you know, and like and that's kind of how I differentiate. Like they have that they have a faster beat. It's faster than like going like the the more mid tempo drivey beat. That's like the the punk mid tempo, like the Black Flag, the Ramones, whatever you want to say. You know, and then you have the Bad Brains, the Roar comes out in 82, I believe. You know, so 81, 82, like these bands are playing fucking fast, you know, compared to the the bands that have been brought up in this to- topic that are playing still like aggressive, still hard, but more of a mid-tempo. Yeah, but if you would see the difference between a for example, a Clash or a Sex Pistols, right? Playing and it being a lot more of what would be traditionally like a rock and roll band, but, you know, they are punk and they are changing things and they are kids that have no business being on stage compared to what was professional musicianship at the day and that's what made punk punk, you know? Um, Then it turns around and you look, you know, a couple of years later and TSOL are like aggressively in the face of the crowd and things like that. So it is a more hardcore approach than what went before, but obviously what's going on elsewhere can be faster. It doesn't mean that it has necessarily more aggression. Yeah, I think it's a style thing too. Uh, the, yeah. These 1.5 bands were trying to say that they're they have the humor and the wit of punk and the aggression of what would become hardcore, but they also have the melody and the musicality of punk, and they also have, um, you know, the 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 vocals aren't as screamed. The 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 drum beats are more medium fast. They're just they just fall right in the middle. And there's so much of it that falls right in the middle that like, it's not like we created this genre to to describe three bands. We're coming up with a list that's probably 75 to a hundred records deep already. You know, we're like, anytime we think of something, we write it down. And there's stuff like Naked Ray Gun that falls outside of that 70, 78 to 81 window. Like they're, they're after that, but they're, they would still be in line with the kind of 1.5, like, 
too hardcore to be punk, not hardcore enough to be hardcore type of, you know, middle, middle class, no pun intended. Um, so I, I mean, I could read you off a million names like Marginal Man and Reagan Youth. Like, that's a, think about Reagan Youth. They put out that album in 84, Agnostic Front, Victim in Pain, same city, put same year, same puts show. Out that album, same shows, like total world of difference. I, we would say Reagan Youth would be a 1.5 band and Agnostic Front would be a hardcore band. Or, or like, think about the. Wasted by Black Flag, and then the Circle Jerks co- cover that song, you know, two years later, and they play it, you know, twice as fast, and and you know, shave nine seconds off of a song that was already forty nine seconds long, and it's like, there's the difference between one point five and and hardcore right there. So, well, and undoubtedly, I, Red Tape, which is nineteen eighty, you know, is is a hardcore yeah. song, you know. But right. then, like, I just think that, like, by eighty two it's like blown wide open, right? Cause you have the, you know, the minor threat seven inches, 81, but negative approach is 82, that seven inch, you know? And like 83, yeah. it's yep. wide open where there's like full hardcore bands. Like then you're looping in like, you know, ill repute 1983, Land of No Toilets, you know, there's a whole, like, yeah. it's, it's nationwide now. Totally. But I think there's that beginning stage of, people kind of fi- trying to figure this shit out. And like, even within a band's catalog, like dead Kennedy's fresh fruit for rotting vegetables, it's like a 1.5 record. But then, you know, the next year they do in God, we trust incorporated and they have like Nazi punks fuck off and dog bite and these really hard, fast, short, short songs. And it's like, okay, they've converted. This is hardcore. Now there's no question about that. And like black flag, nervous breakdown, 1.5 black flag damage, hardcore. Um, there's a there are a few other ones like that that are like like um black dots the 79 demo by uh bad brains 1.5 roar tape hardcore like you see the transition happen even within a given band's catalog like it's a movement towards aggression and speed but like that middle stage like social distortion mommy's little monster like seriously depending on who you ask they're going to put that that record in a different category or they're going to judge a band based on what they ended up being as opposed to what they were at that point in time, well, you know? But I think that's what's happening when when you look back and classify something as a 1.5 band is you have the benefit of hindsight to look back and be historical and say, okay, we can group these things together and give it its own subclass because we saw what came after, you know? At the time, I think many of them would have, convi- you know, would have referred to themselves as hardcore, and many of them would have referred to themselves as punk. And frankly, like, I think all hardcore should be referred to as punk as well. You know, absolutely. Well, I totally think that, agree with that. Well, I think that you can do a bigger umbrella and say hardcore punk, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I think that that would include like the one point fives and like the straight hardcore bands we're talking about. You know, and then and then later uh, on, and well, moving into the next question, we're not going to go there yet. But at some point, you know, you have bands that are just straight hardcore, and you have like a lot of the punk like stripping off, you know, and not necessarily like they're still hardcore bands. Like sonically, this music is going to change. They remain yeah. hardcore, but it would be hard to say that like Earth Crisis is a hardcore punk band. 
I think it's all punk to me. Like it is all punk, you know, like that's the thing. Like we've had many discussions in the past, like obviously it's hardcore first, but it's still punk. Like punk is, is bigger than all of it. Reading that, uh, uh, bad religion book. Um, you know, they make a, they, they talk about their, you know, their onset onto the scene, in you know 1980 81 and how the punk bands that existed prior to the quote-unquote hardcore bands that you guys are that we're talking about here were just you know tsl you know bad religion whoever else in la especially in la at that time um you know the difference was the you know these other bands were art bands and these other guys just came in along and weren't doing that same thing. There was no uh, aesthetic piece to them. It was completely stripped down. So that's the other uh, like uh, p- piece that, that, that we're not talking about. We're talking about fast music and we're talking about these other things, but the other thing is, is missing is, is that hardcore bands don't have that, you know the glitz and glitter stuff that yeah. was going on in, in 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 punk rock at that time right there are they're not there's no art school aesthetic there's no uh there's no pretension it's more physical it's more like surfer right. skateboarder dudes going going yeah. off and in and stage diving and stuff they're and, just and stripped, that, st- stripped down right but and that's totally the difference between punk and what we're calling 1.5. Like that transition has already happened at that point. The the harder thing is figuring out like how fast does a band have to be before or hard or whatever it is like that before it's like we're clearly in, in hardcore territory. Like there are a lot of bands on the line, like, like that first bad religion album, like where would you put that? Like, it's not that different than, than the faster TSOL songs. Obviously, they were listening to the germs and the adolescents when they were writing those songs. Like they were, they're by their own admission influenced by those bands. And, and yeah. like, um, w- you know, LA's Wasted Youth, Reagan's In. Like that's a, that's one that Daniel's like. That's hardcore. That's the that's where it starts to be like you know obviously hardcore. And it's like it's not even that different than the other st- stuff we're talking about. So yeah, it's like it's like a gradient. It's like if you're looking at a rainbow, there's you know, you go red, orange, yellow. What's orange? It's a combination of red and yellow, and it lies in between the two. Like, that's kind of what we're talking about. It's still a color, distinct color, but it's a it's a blend of two other colors that make it that, that distinct color. Yeah, I mean, if you think about hardcore, it's a blunter, more aggressive message, a blunter um, delivery and f- forgoing of melody in certain aspects. You know, like you have the choice to make something really melodic or not. That could be in when we're talking in this time period, you know, if you're trying to make it more. I don't know. It's just it's so hard to define. Like I say, it's a sliding scale because at the time, like. Lots of it would have. um, Been categorized something else that with hindsight it can be placed in another bucket 
I, I just think that yeah. can't we agree it's under the hardcore punk umbrella and then that takes care of it? No. Yeah. I, well, mean, I mean, in general terms, yeah. But I mean, I do like the idea of the 1.5, but like, I think that the 1.5 is the stuff that I consider like the birth of hardcore punk, you know, and, and I'm not above being completely wrong, you know, but Call that's original just hardcore, what? original hardcore or something. Yeah. I mean, you could say first wave hardcore. I just think that the stuff that, you know, Ben is tossing out here, thinking about, you know, minor threat being there in 81, like there just is a sonic difference. And I, you know, that goes back to is the sonic thing important or not? Maybe it's not. And that's, that's going to go into the next topic that we're going to talk about. Um, well, think about it this way. Like if, if the minor threat, who do they consider their peers? Many, you know, when they toured the country, like, many of these bands would have been in that category. You know, like, yeah, is fear absolutely. is fear a hardcore band? Is fear a punk band? Is fear a 1.5-er? Right. Like, Dan- Daniel says, the, the, the best way to tell is if you don't know if a band is punk or hardcore, that they're, they're a perfect candidate for this middle category. You know, if you like, you can't answer that question yourself and you've been listening to this same band for 30 years and you don't know what category to put them in. Like, okay, this is why we invented this. You know, like here's a category that they finally fit into. Think about Harley Flanagan playing drums for the Stimulators in 1981. One year later, he's doing the Chromags demo. Like that is a world apart. Like Stimulators 1.5, Chromags hardcore, at least their very early stuff. Yeah, but if Harley's involved so, within it, isn't it hardcore anyway? <laughs> well, <laughs> because of the VHS. What's New York hardcore? It's me and no. him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Him and Jimmy right, right, right. Gestapo. Can't argue with that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's all, that's the hardcore punk shit. And uh, I love it. But let's let's talk about the next topic because it like plays into this as well. Um which is why has the goalpost on what qualifies as hardcore been moving in the metal direction for the last 30 years? Um, Daniel, you want to take this first? It goes back to the sliding scale thing. It's just a constant evolving, moving, you know, throbbing, <laughs> pulsating thing is hardcore. Like it, it builds off of what came before. So if something comes out and it captures a lot of attention and people get into it, they can't help but be influenced by it to go one step further and do something like that. And then, you know, there's also pushback where things return to the roots. Like there's bands that sound like minor threat that are forming today, but there's also bands that sound like referential of a nineties metallic hardcore band. And then there's, bands that are straight up creating their own version of whatever they assume hardcore to be. And it is going to have a metal tinge to it, or it could perhaps be this. I just think when hardcore, it almost touches on the Igno topic (laughs) that we started with when there's almost like a competitive thing streak running through hardcore that when you're influenced by something and you want to make it the the most like boiled down version of something that you've been influenced by so if something you were influenced by was 
pretty metallic edged, then whatever you come up with and you're boiling what you really loved about it down, then it could be super metal. And then the next thing will be influenced off of what you did and like magnify that even more. So that's probably why it's going in that direction as a whole sound wise. But I don't think the entire thing is (laughs) bands are being more and more like that. I just think there's lots more bands and then the, the pushes to the edge are going further and further. Like some hardcore stuff is being very DB and crust influenced and going really hard in that direction. Some of it's going really hard and stretching the, the boundaries on the metal side. And then some is going on the most basic, like fast pissed thrashed out hardcore. Like, so I don't think it's necessarily all going in a metal direction. I just think that if you hear something that is, insanely metal it's gonna make you think like well is this still hardcore if your sensibility is more on a minor threat level you know right well the boundaries are gonna get pushed right is as time moves forward and so if you start to think about like how things progress in the 80s you know there aren't that many bands that can put out very similar records multiple times and have them all be awesome like if your name is not poison idea right like they're like (laughs) the only ones that can do it you know so inevitably, if you're going to try to get harder than the the stuff that is your contemporaries or what's going on right then, you know, it's it might go in a more metal direction because like metal stuff sounds hard and tough, right? Or it could go in the faster direction. And so you see a lot of bands that go, you know, crossover and metal like around the 86 time, you know, and probably trace that to like AF cause for alarm. I'll talk about that in a second. But you also have like a couple years later, you know, the infest and the crossed out. And these bands like that just go full in on like speed, right? Just like let's write the fastest, most insane shit you can ever do, right? You know, yeah. And right, right now, there's a lot of bands that are picking up UK eighty two as an influence, you know, and riding hard on that. Hardcore is full of trends too, you know. It, it, you're gonna notice if you don't like metal. (laughs) <laughs> and this is directed to Ben. If you don't like metallic hardcore, you're going to notice that there's lots of metallic hardcore bands out there that are getting a lot of attention because you don't consider that as much hardcore because of your sensibility. But it doesn't, I just think everything, every aspect of like that makes up what we love about hardcore, like the the fast stuff, the metal stuff, blah, blah, blah. It's all expanding. It's just you're noticing the thing that you don't like as much. But the goalpost has moved. Like if you took a hyper fast band from 2020 and teleported them back to 1983, you know, they would still be considered a hardcore band. If you yeah, took could, a but, super... Where we, go sorry, ahead. Ben. Go ahead. I was just going to say that oh. you, you can't expand on that genre of very basic three to four chord fast as fuck hardcore like you can't be super inventive and that's why we love it like it's not going to change like insanely like you're going to be rooted in that but also the things that are influenced by a life of regret and then going further on that and then the next generation's going even further on that that can change because there's there's more ground not tread trod there you know yeah, my but theory Ben's was this point, point though is like take some something like uh like okay, I love that Coke bust LP, 
you know, and, and they're, yeah. they're non-metallic, um, yeah. but they have like a lot of like blast beats and stuff. And so, but so Ben saying, if you take that band and transport it back to like 84 is still a hardcore band, but take, uh, you know, knocked loose. Yeah, fine. Take, take knocked loose and put in 84. It's definitely like a metal band. Right. I think if that's like, that's fair because that's like an out of context way of doing it. But if yeah, you look at the progression, the progression makes sense because I think it's just, I, I think you got to trace it back to AF doing cause for alarm in 1986. This is like a crossover record. So it's like very like close to doing like speed metal, you know, but it's also agnostic front. So it's inherently a hardcore record. Like they could do anything sonically in agnostic front is going to be hardcore. Yeah, because they're hardcore people. That's the main, main thing that's not been addressed. The reason that these metallic bands are going more and more hardcore, it's still hardcore kids doing this music. So if and that's kind of that's that's part of what drives me nuts, though. It's like it shouldn't matter who you are. You're playing. You're playing music. Judge the music on the music. Don't judge it on the the haircut of the person playing it, or the clothes they're wearing, or the fact that they were in a hardcore band before or the last album was hardcore, like, no, like, listen to the music. And what kind of music is that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's, it, more than so that's the, the intangible. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, the, that's way more than music. That's right. The, that's the intangible thing that's impossible to put your finger on. So is right? Civ a hardcore band then? Yeah. What? <laughs> they were. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, I, well, I don't know. I don't know him at the time. It depends on what you're like. Your intentions think, are as well, right? I think I, I actually wrote I wrote out my theory because I thought I actually thought about this question <clears throat> a couple hours ago, and it's very similar to Dan's. I have like two points I wanted to make. Like one is you can only play so fast; you're limited by physics. Like you, your arms can only move so fast. So if you're playing that game that the Neos and Deep Wound and a lot of those '83 era bands played with each other, where they're like they're trying to outspeed each other. Like you're going to reach a, an end point. And, but then when people started pushing it in the heavy direction, there's like no limit to that. Like there's no, there's no one's well, ever going to agree, but, but no one's ever going to be like, that's it. Heaviness achieved. Well, you Game can't over. drop tune. You can't drop tune past a certain level, right? Like B or. Yeah. Uh, because sure then you're to to falling off. Yeah. But they make like strings that like help, but yeah, you can only, down tune so low you can only get a certain amount of like distortion out of an amp like there well, there's an end on that too it's you can objectively you can objectively figure out what who's playing the fastest beat like that you can just set a metronome to it and figure out this guy's going 300 bpm that's it like this is the fast like you there's no like heaviness is more subjective like yeah like i think black sabbath volume four is heavy that's really really thin by today's production standards even though there's something kind of um there, there's this kind of je ne sais quoi like there, there's something that you can't int- an intangible about it so when people got hyper focused on the mosh part of the of the song it reached the point where entire songs became mosh parts i mean listen like yeah. I mean, break breakdown is starting to go there by earth crisis. You're like, this band doesn't have any fast parts. Like, and then the other point I wanted to make is that like every generation of hardcore kids who got a little bit better at their instruments 
looked to metal for inspiration because it's a more technical style of music. And then they built on top and that built on top of itself over years and years to the point where the music was no longer identifiable as the thing it started out as, which happens with every genre. But I think that's the reason it got pushed in the metal direction. And then you, you started getting kids who got into hardcore music through metal instead of getting into hardcore through punk, which is how it was back when hardcore was essentially extremely fast and brutal sounding punk. I shouldn't use the word brutal, but you get what I'm saying. Like the first generation. And so like, who's going to gatekeep those igno punk. Who's going to gatekeep a kid who got into to hardcore through metal and be like, and started being in a band and say like, no, what you're doing is metal. That shit isn't pure. Like there's no, there's no way to gatekeep that. And there's no, such thing like there's no well, referee gate- in hardcore well, <laughs> there's no referee in hardcore punk, though. <laughs> yeah exactly so like the whole thing just got pushed further in into that direction and like obviously like dan was saying like non-metal influenced hardcore has a lane like there was a point in the 90s where it didn't like like early 90s kind of victory era like you know People who were like me, who were into the fast shit, were hurting. Like, you know, the the minor threat aesthetic. There were there was like we were playing the waiting game, and so like that that has its own lane now. But metal in general is it just metal. The genre of music is more popular than punk or traditional hardcore, and so I so like metal. I don't see metal free hardcore being like the majority again. Like if you if you if you if you look at every band that calls themselves hardcore in twenty twenty. Like I, I believe the majority of them are of the metallic varietal, and like you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Like I don't see a way that that's ever going to reverse. No, it's not. <laughs> and hardcore is going to continue to grow in every direction. You know, worldwide. the The thing is, like going back to your thing about people with chops, especially like leaning towards the metallic side of things. There's only so much if you're really really wanting to push things further and wanting to demonstrate your ability within the songs that you write um you couldn't do that much in a straightforward hardcore sense of things per se compared to what you could do in a metallic thing you know that's why there's so many great guitar players in the kind of crossover genre because their heart bleeds pure hardcore but they can shred <laughs> shout out greg right. totally <laughs> yeah. right. yep. everyone wants to be rocky george there yeah so well that yeah. that's the other thing though is like with with you know if you want to prove your chops in metal like good luck it's been like that stuff's there you can really like carve out a niche if you move away from it you know I'm like saying that's why the at, crossover genre is so yeah. so that lane you know yeah i think that's fair I think that's fair, but I mean, you have a band like, like the the one step closer band, right? Like that band's really talented, and they're they're putting a lot of, you know, tricks and unique stuff into relatively straightforward hardcore songs. Well, like tragedy. Well, yeah, that too. You know, yeah, yeah. tragedy is a great example of of being really creative and having chops and like carving out a niche like away from metal. Like it's there. Is there? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And, and also, they're like, damn heavy. Know, yeah, they're yeah. they're heavy. That's true. I mean, they're drop tuned. Um, 
but I think that like the these these modern times are like the best time for hardcore period like depending on what you like there's stuff for you like multiple yeah, bands absolutely. will like satisfy all your itches yeah absolutely well i think that's what's fantastic about being able to look back and have these really nerdy questions that we're putting up because we're not like seriously trying to solve the chicken or the egg <laughs> debate you know it's more just like these are interesting conversations because we're so spoiled with so many genres and so many great bands that we we can look at these things on an empirical sense and be like okay so why is this happening and what is the reason behind it and you know it just offers up ways to for lack of a better term intellectualize punk and hardcore because it is such a wonderful thing to talk about yeah i mean and it all just boils down to that Edge hates metal, and he's pissed <laughs> off that he missed instead by he's, about six he's Ronnie Little. <laughs> Ronnie Little is just sat behind him, like poking him, like, "Hey, say this next." <laughs> yeah, yeah. He didn't have the outlet of "fuck you" fanzine, so he's just been uh, he's been boiling this entire time. And, and now so, but yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I like Ben, if you if you think about, you know, you were you did a great list on the end of the 2020 episode, yeah. you know, back when we did that. And your list for the year was like, what, like 30 fucking bands? Right. So it's like the good guys was, won. Hardcore rules now. Well, there know? was some, and there was some metallic shit in there too. I mentioned Mind Force and Take Offense. Yeah. So I'm not like, I'm not, but like, even if I loved metallic hardcore across the board, this is a good question to ask. Like the goalpost has moved in the more metal direction. Like there's no way to deny that, you know? No, I mean, I'm agreeing with so that. There's so much I mean, like, more subgenre that can be done within there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think it's just what the kids want to hear, too, right? Yeah. That's that's also where that goes. It's like people want to hear that style. And so people are going to play, you know, provide that kind of music. There will know? always be trends and there will always be themes. I, and and, and that's, that, that's not a bad thing either. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to talk shit about that. I, I, yeah. I just think that that's. That's what kids are into, you know? Joe, when you sit around and talk shit about something that you once believed in. <laughs> Shout out, Bane. Life on. Yeah, but uh, no, I mean, the, the, also the thing is like the progression of things and music changing, you know, it also creates the atmosphere for throwback stuff. Yeah. And, and for like those genres to like pop again and for people to rediscover them and love them. Yeah. Right? Like, it, it, I, I, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, I mean, like, why was Floor Punch so great when they came out? Why, why did that like catch such fire, you know, and like create this wave of of bands and fans of that music, you know? Because it was an underrepresented uh, style of hardcore at that right. time. But it wouldn't know? have been yeah. so big if there was like, you know, eight bands playing that that genre the whole way through from like ninety one until ninety five. There's also right. one extra little intangible that we choose not to look at because it goes against the very thing that we that we talk about as being punk and hardcore but if a if a band full of popular kids does does a, popular kids within the scene does a band it's gonna be liked perhaps you know like people are gonna flock to it sometimes the you know, it takes something to be 
lost and forgotten to be then resurrected and, and championed, whereas it wasn't appreciated during the time. And other times, bands that were huge at the time were because, you know, people love those dudes and girls. And it, it, sometimes it doesn't hold up, <laughs> you know, long time on. So sometimes trends and themes get pushed in a certain way because of who's doing it as well, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. stuff falls out of favor too because also, you know, those bands you're talking about, then, you know, some kids hear that and then they create, you know, like uh, the next version. Yeah. The next version, which becomes popular enough to get on the radio and then becomes, you know, this, you know, mega trend. I'm talking like, like screamo stuff or, you know, like that stuff. Cause that's still got ties back to hardcore. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah, like it, bring, it, bring it, me the horizon and things. Yeah, like yeah, that. That, that that's that that stuff. That that that's yeah. exactly what I'm talking about. And then, and then what happens is people rebel against that stuff eventually. Like, no, this is you know, it's not right. We can't, we, you know, it's 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 the wrong thing to listen to. Um, yeah, it gets and, shunned. And, it gets shunned by yeah. the hardcore, but then it develops its own weird offshoot scene. Yeah, where almost you know, teeny bopper. Yeah. stuff happens and it, it develops its own thing. It, I mean, this, the, you know, social history of this kind of stuff is fascinating. I yeah. feel, you know, how things happen like that and the, the signposts where it changed. And like Ben said, you know, where, what are the bands that started this, that moved the goalposts, but it, it's happening in a, in a minute way all the time it's the time. always evolving yeah well i want to address like that some things can go the other way of of what joe's talking about of like some bands getting popular you know like the band the bands that like get influenced by this they take it they turn it into something new they get popular then there's a backlash against it it can go the other way as well like the youth crew stuff we were talking about in the 90s like a lot of that initial stuff is good and the stuff that doesn't you know the stuff that comes later like there is so much third rate bad stuff there oh like, yeah if you look at, we did like the nineties of youth crew and it's like, you know, the early nineties is really barren, you know, and like 95, 96, everything that gets mentioned, we're like, this stuff rules. But by like 98, 99, there's like a ton of records we had to leave off because there's just so much third rate, terrible, like derived music that like, you know, it's just a slew of mediocrity in a music that cannot afford to be mediocre. And then people are just like, okay, time for something new, you know. Well, that's what makes the great, the great bands of those. That's what makes the great bands of the purer, what we would consider pure hardcore, you know, like initial stuff that is at least based in that world, because you have less room to move. So when you do it really, really well, that's you capture everyone. Right. But if you like do it poorly, like that, it's like, like yeah, right. a couple of your picks were like great examples of that, Daniel, for the 2020, like that Rat Cage record, that Rated X, like these are bands that are in the straightforward hardcore lane that like do an amazing job. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why the early 80s is so great because hardcore was new. So you had so many bands that didn't really like Dead Kennedys don't sound anything like Black Flag, but they're both hardcore by um by 81 
you know? So, and, and, and then you have like big boys and minor threat and like all these bands that sound nothing like each other, but they're all clearly playing the same general style of music. And then it seems like every one of those bands, like a lane formed. And then you have like, you have minor threat copycats and then you have, uh, you know, black flag copycats. And then, you know, it just branches out further and further and further. And it, and it gets kind of, kind of in many respects, less interesting because then you can have a show where you could see five bands that are pretty much all sound like the same band, you know, that they're all trying to sound like. So I think that happens with every genre of music. For sure. Okay. Uh, do we feel like that got represented well enough, Ben? Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, you were you yeah. brought up this one as well. Uh, when hardcore bands signed to major labels, was it good for hardcore? Was it good for the bands? Was it good for the labels? And what was the success rate? And you bring this up because I believe you're working on an article about this uh, that may be published by the time that this uh, podcast comes out. So maybe you want to toss out some examples, Ben. Yeah, so I'm I'm working on an article with Anthony Papalardo, who was in um, Ten or, Yard or Fight and in my eyes, on, or possibly worked on an article. Yeah, well, he he wrote that book Radio Silence um, about hardcore music, maybe like ten years ago. Um, so the article, well, we haven't really written it yet, but we've done a lot of research and. Um, a uh, friend of the pod, Mike Gitter, has been very helpful because he's actually given us sound scan numbers. So when people, so like we don't have to like kind of pretend we know how well Civ did when they signed to Atlantic Records. Like we have like we literally know how many copies like each record sold. So like we can kind of figure out more concretely how well these bands did when they ended up signing to majors, and like like I think the question is usually posed from like, an, like an article in MRR would be like, this is destroying the scene and all this. It's like major labels don't have the same power that they used to have They're, uh, You know, the, I, I wouldn't say the playing field has been leveled, but it's changed enough where like, it doesn't really like people don't really give a shit. If like a band like jawbreaker signs to Geffen anymore, uh, the way they did in the nineties. So we're only discussing the eighties and the nineties bands um but uh like i don't think it made much of a difference for hardcore because most of these bands by the time they ended up on major labels they didn't sound like hardcore bands anymore sick of it all is a notable exception and like they played the warp tour like i saw them at the first warp tour and it's like maybe some bros like who wouldn't have seen sick of it all like saw them and thought they were okay like i just don't think it moved the needle in any direction for hardcore for the most part um but like was it good for the bands i i'd say in other words did they make the right choice by signing to a major label did did the label hold up its end of the deal and did they actually sell a lot of records and like you know in some cases they did in some cases they didn't but i think like the failure rate has been exaggerated like there's this famous steve albini article where he's like if you sign to a major label you're gonna like you know it's a terrible idea and like you're never gonna um there you'd be successful and it's like well you know suicidal tendencies have two gold records on epic social distortion has two gold records bad religion has a gold record they were on atlantic the meat puppets 
obviously they weren't a hardcore band by the time they signed the London records, but they have a gold record. And like a lot of mid-tier bands like Husker Du and Quicksand and Biohazard did really well too. Like they didn't go gold or anything. And like, yeah, there were duds like Excel, Circle Jerks, No Warning, Into Another. Like those bands did, like they failed at the major label game. But like overall, most bands, regardless of genre, are going to fail. Like that's, the success rate is always a, a, a fraction of the number of, of bands that get signed to majors. It's always been that way. They say the winners pay for the losers. So like, like these labels, mo like by 91 or 92, they were like looking for the next Nirvana. So like all these punk and hardcore bands got scooped up and they never found the next Nirvana. Like I don't, I can't think of any band that, did as well as them but like some of these bands did do pretty well so like i i just don't think that they did worse uh like these hardcore bands did worse than you know joe blow rock band who you know never made a record before and doesn't belong to any like subculture did i think it's probably about the same success rate yeah well because the hardcore bands are inherently good that's why they got on like the the label right you're generally not getting like signed to a major off a demo if you're a hardcore band like the the established bands that sounded good got signed to majors sometimes you know so we're right to the joe blow band you know like there could be a and r's like cruising around the bar scene where literally bands are like create you know they're creating a band to try to get famous you know and there's no heart to it and you know an a and r maybe can recognize that maybe can't but is going to take a chance on signing them right Right. Like some of the, a lot of these bands had like established track records, you know, like all, for example, had like, I don't know, four or five albums out before Interscope picked them up and they didn't do well at all. Probably. I'm looking at the numbers right now. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, well, the worst example, I don't know if, if, if we should, well, okay, whatever. But, uh, the worst example though is Sam, I am right. Didn't they have an album iced? Like that's the, that's the major label, like nightmare, you know, to like record a record and have the label decide to not put it out and they own the rights to it. So that's like the big major label fear. Um, they had one album on Atlantic, a uh, friend of the pod, Mike Gitter signed them to Atlantic and it didn't do very well. And then they had another album on some weird label called ignition that kind of didn't last very long. And, um, yeah, they didn't. They didn't do. They didn't do very well. But when did the um, album come out? Like compared to when it was recorded, I think that's the that's the question. But before? like again, I couldn't. Like we don't need to answer a question that we don't yeah. have an answer for. But, but the I, thing is, by I, major, I just remember major, them being like the the scary worst case scenario. Like they get signed to a major, uh, the, major controls your music, and they decide to not put the record out. You know, and it has sense to field that 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 happened to sense field. Maybe you're thinking of sense field. They okay. signed to Warner Brothers and Warner. They recorded a whole album for them, and Warner Brothers was, was like, "We don't hear a hit," and they didn't. They just sat on it for years and years. Yeah, they, that that happened to them, right? Um, or like, <laughs> like this is not hardcore at all. But I remember watching this documentary on Warrant, the band, and uh, yeah, like when they did the second album, Cherry Pie. I guess like the label's like, "Hey, there's no hit on this," and they made them do the song Cherry Pie, and like. And Jamie Lane, like the singer, he was like crying about it on the documentary. He's like, I don't want to be known as the cherry pie guy. 
<laughs> You're like, we got yeah. other tracks, but it's like the label like forced them to do that song to put out the record. He's dead now, so yeah, yeah. And, and R.I.P. Mean, there, there sure guy. Yeah, there there are like nightmare scenarios, of course, but you know there are also scenarios like Whisker Do, who were like, we're not gonna sign to Warner Brothers unless in the contract it says you can't fuck with our music. We create everything. We have 100% creative control. We we can we determine what our record covers look like, everything. And it's like Warner was like, okay, <laughs> like fine. And so you know, it's not like you go in there with your hands tied. Um, so everyone has had different experiences with this. Uh, but I read this article in Punk Planet from 20 years ago, and it, it's almost like they intentionally picked bands that had horrible situations happen to them on major labels to prove a point as opposed to just be like let's just think of every band from the scene at a point (laughs) yeah but like let's be let's try to be a little bit objective about this and just think they didn't have they didn't have the time to be objective they felt their scene was under attack by this happening because it's a very different time than looking back at it now and going well, you know, things, blah, blah, blah. At the time, like, Jawbreaker signing to a major and things like that were mega bum-outs to those, you know, hard, other hard-working bands in the scene where it's like, okay, well, now you're going to get access to all of this stuff, but you're going to lose the access to these small rooms now because not, not tons of people are going to go with you. And then it's interesting, like, you know, Sick of it all never changed who they were. And so they, and New York, because of the Cro-Mags and other things like that, seemed to, in certain in certain rooms or, or venues or enclaves of hardcore across the scene in general, different attitudes were taken in different areas. Do you know what I mean? Like, for the bands that came from extremely working class, hard nosed hardcore scenes signing to these labels was seen as like, yeah, man, way to fucking go like that rules. Whereas in other areas, like if you were an ABC, no Rio band, instead of a CB's band signing to a major would have been like, you stabbed us in the back. Fuck you. Or a Gilman or a Gilman band. Exactly. But I was saying two New York venues to to say that there are two, different enclaves of hardcore kids happening in the same thing, even though many of the kids who were into those bands are going to both venues, but the, the bands that were playing the other venues really didn't cross. Do you know right. what I mean? Everyone can Google the, yeah. uh, think of it all born against debate. Yeah. And, and, see how and, that and I don't, and I don't think hardcore had, had that crossover moment the way punk did like with green day and offspring and rancid in 94 95 like there was never a point where it was like maybe i guess you could say in the 2000s like that kind of mall screamo type stuff there were people who i guess thought that was hardcore i mean obviously there's you can trace a direct line from hardcore to it but you don't have like sick of it all did moderately well but they did not become a household name the way green day did so you don't you 
you didn't see the impact of that on hardcore as a whole. But, like, but if, and their if, next if record was all, on Fat anyway, right? So, right, they ended up going back to an independent label. Yeah. Well, by then those indies were like pretty established, right? It's like you know, Madball was on a on a major for three albums, and they went to Epitaph, you know. But by two thousand, Epitaph is like super legit. You know, it's yes, not like going to Epitaph thing, in 91. Same with like, you know, see if it all going to fat, like fat is a well-oiled, you know. Oh yeah. 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 The thing sick of it all is achieving by going to relativity and, and doing this in the nineties is the ability for a label to support them, to be on the road, to make this a lifestyle choice to be a professional band. It's not necessarily to go. I mean, I don't think, any of them had delusions of grandeur to be like, we're going to sell a million records. Like even whatever A&R person blew smoke up their ass, you know, it's, it's more like we get to do this and not have to work a day job and play hardcore all the time. Yes. I'm going to do that. So whether you talk about success in record sales, that's a success for them to have carved out a life career in playing the music that they love, you know? Yeah, Daniel, you're right. And so yeah. I think a great example of this is if you go and listen to uh, the podcast episode I did with Dave Mandel, he talks about what it costs to like, as a label to try to support a full-time touring band because Insan was trying to tour full-time mm-hmm. and Dave is their label that put out like the album. Like he just talks about like the, the financial ex- expenses of always like fronting money is like hard for a smaller indie at the time. You know, so that that really plays to Daniel's point of having sick of it all with like a major label behind them that can front a lot of money, like so they can rent a bus, you know, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, and tour comfortably so they can tour more. You know, oh, like it makes sense. Yeah, but then they have to do things like this. Sick of it all had to take corn on that tour as part of their label saying, Yeah, we're giving you the tour support to go do this nationwide tour, but you've got to bring this band with you. Right, right. You know, right. you know. It was an open for Slayer. Yeah. Oh yeah, at the Ventures Theater. Didn't go yeah, over. There's, so a, well there's a great Immortal Technique line on uh, on the indie labels on on one of his songs. I think it's on the second record when he goes, "Underground labels know that I don't trust you. You're only indie till you're major, so fuck you." You know, it's yeah. like that's another thing. It's like at least the majors, you know what you're dealing with. You know, I mean, get a lawyer and shit, but. You know, there's a lot of indies. It's like you're on an indie label and they sell, you know, like you got, you got, what are you getting then? Well, if you know, you're going to sell the same amount of records, regardless of what label you're on, it's better to be on an indie because there's lower overhead, like major, if a major label throws more money at you, the stakes are higher. You have to sell more records to recoup. And like in the case of bad religion, I think that's, I mean, they do have a gold record that, that, um, whatchamacallit, um, stranger than fiction but like every other record it seems like no matter if they were on epitaph or atlantic they still would have sold uh about, about a little under two hundred thousand copies per um oh no they actually oh well somewhere between 150 and 300,000 copies no matter what so it made sense for them to be go back to epitaph Right, because like they're getting a, a couple bucks a copy compared to a buck fifty well, a copy or something. Let's let's take it all the way back. This is not hardcore, but take it back to factory records. Right, they made 
a decision to be a complete independent <laughs> label and split the profits 50-50, label and band, right? No other label in the world is giving that deal. So they that's the birth of where all these independent labels look to to, to represent the um, artist as much as ever, especially if Brett Gerowitz is, I mean, doing the uh, label, he's going to look out for his own band more than getting 10% of the record sales or whatever their royalty rate would be on Atlantic. Right. Yeah. And you see that, that's evident because like you have, you know, older, bigger artists like Tom Waits and isn't Nick Cave, didn't they both end up on Anti? Tom Waits did for sure. Yeah, they both did. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there you are. But but Epitaph at this point is is independent, but it's a stability of, you know, I mean, there's probably more stability than a major. You know, it's like the golden spot if you can land there. Right. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Think about it this way, right? You just brought up the way that this can kind of be looked at in a in a hip-hop sense <laughs> by Immortal Technique. But let's think about the fantastic line from the Jizza where he talks about who's your A&R, a mountain climber that plays electric guitar. It's the same thing for a hardcore band. You've got these A&Rs and they may have been an ex-hardcore band. There may be one person in the label that you like Ben's friend is signing people. But for the most part, that entire structure does not know how to handle a hardcore band, period. It's not the world of hardcore. The intangibles cannot be transmitted. So in essence, they're all doing themselves a disservice by going there, except for the, the thing that we said about being able to, um, you know, there are a few bands that are able to access the rooms that built them still by doing that. There are many others that switched off that tap the minute they did sign that. Like, no, you can't come back. You can't play for us. Or even if you try to, we're not coming to the show. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But as far as, okay, so let's, let's I want to do one exercise as an example, and then we'll move on from this topic. But Madball puts out Set It Off in, what, 94? And yeah. uh, 94, 95, one of those? What's the difference if Madball puts out their record on Century Media versus they put it out on Victory? Like, does the popularity of the band change? Do the album sales change? What? Because they're, they're a band that they played a lot, like locally, I believe, but I think that they, they did one U.S. tour off that record. And I don't know how many, how many times they went to Europe. But uh, I don't think the popularity changes much, does it? Yeah, I think with a band like Madball, like they're so established that it matters less what label they're on. Like they have their fans; they're going to sell a certain amount no matter what. It's more like the bands that are kind of like trying to introduce themselves to the world that it might that it matters more, like how they're perceived initially, um, like what label they're on. I don't know. That's my opinion on that yeah okay all right well let's move on and the next topic we got is how is hardcore different if youth of today never existed that was mine i'm i'm super super curious about this one and it's more so i just want your guys's opinion because i don't know um but they just seem like such a a super influential band that like 
you know, Ben, you talked to, or yeah, you talked about when you were in Europe and like everyone had like the poster on the wall of like the first time they went there, you know, and, and they just seem so inspirational for, for bands here, you know, it was like, you know, the next generation, like lighting the torch of like the straight edge hardcore scene that like they, I don't know, they just seem so important. I, I wonder like, what is it like in a world without them? And Ben, let's go to you. Um, that actually on where it went, they were talking to Porcel. Actually, maybe it was another podcast. I heard him on a lot of podcasts lately, but he basically explained that like the first time Youth of Today toured the country was 86, maybe. And there wasn't a straight edge scene per se. They were playing hardcore punk shows, hardcore shows, whatever, with other bands, you know, all kinds of bands, Adrenaline Overdose, whatever. And then by the time they toured the U.S. again, which I guess would have been 87, they had been so charismatic and popular and 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 they on trend or whatever that all these bands had formed in their wake. And then there was a straight edge scene and they and they were playing with basically bands that sounded like them. They were playing with what we now call youth crew bands and like. I think if they had never existed, that scene would never exist. Like straight edge would be an idea. Like there'd be hardcore punk kids who'd be like, I don't drink. I'm straight edge. Like that obviously minor threat, like that, that was already, you know, a thing that was established at that point. So there would still be that, but I don't think there would be a straight edge scene. I don't think there would be six bands that were all straight edge bands, like completely existing in their own bubble playing shows together, you know, in, in any given city. And like um, the other thing that I, that wouldn't exist is that there wouldn't be, you know, 600 bands that sound like youth of today. <laughs> if youth crew had never existed, you wouldn't have those bands that have that youth crew fast part with the tribal Tom heavy mosh part, breaking up the, the fast parts. And then the, the sing-alongs where everyone points their finger and then adds the word fucking, you know, in the middle of a word, like breaks a word apart, but it's fucking in the middle of it. Like that wouldn't exist. So you have like, like the whole early rev sound would be gone or just wouldn't exist. And then the, the straight edge scene wouldn't exist. But I still think you'd have the same ratio of metallic hardcore to metal free hardcore, because both those things were already in full swing, full swing before youth of, the, youth of today came on the scene. Like the crossover thing was already happening. Okay. But then to follow up your thought before we go back and, and, get Dan in Joe's original thought on that. Um, does a band like earth crisis get to thrive if there's not that well-established like straight edge scene already? No, no, they, I don't think they would. So then inherently, like, do you not have that whole like metal explosion? Like does just, is everything different? Like just not only taking away that, like, you know, there's no judge obviously uh, because they started as in, as, they're inspired like by feelings on a youth of the day tour, you know, like you don't have them, you know, project X probably. Um, but like, yeah, do you, do you not have the stuff that comes after like that? I don't know. It's, it's really interesting to think about Dan. What do you think on this initially? Initially? Um, the question of be, what, what would hardcore be like without them? Yes. It, it, I mean, it's, <laughs> impossible to say but i mean i agree with the pathway of the the reason let's break this down initially 
the reason that they are so influential and reverential is the fact that um, they write good songs, period. That's awesome. But they would come to your town and blow you away. Like the minute, like the Eric Ozine interview on 185 Miles South, everyone listen to that. The thing is, someone will see them and be like, I have to fall in line with that. I have to, you know, worship at the church of this. There's how many old aging youth crew kids do we know that Ray Capo can do nothing wrong in their eyes, regardless of being a seven timer or whatever, you know, because the, the, the charisma and the uh, ability to fucking just put on an amazing hardcore show and, and do everything is there. But then youth of today were organizers of, of, of scenes and, and zines and bands and, you know, the beginning of revelation is Capo with Jordan doing everything. They were organizers just as much as they were blowing people away. Do you know what I mean? So they were cultivating their scene. They were pushing it forward and taking it across the world. So yeah, I, I can't, I can't imagine a world without it and where we would have gone. I, I, it's too big of a giant Easter Island head of hardcore in our thing to, to imagine without it. Like, right. I, does, I, does Rev I, start if they're not like the juggernaut they are? You know, and then no, also, no, like, no. What is inspiring? Like, Uniform Choice like tours a little too late, you know, to like inspire the entire country, you know, and then a lot of the the Rev bands don't come out if they would have even existed without youth today you know like how many like pound well, the pain? half of them are in <laughs> all of the bands right. <laughs> you know what i mean like right. right like would it have started organically anyway or you know does a does a band like instead like end up being way more influential and popular and does like, instead happen without youth today well, no, in, I think, the, in the yeah. way instead it is you know i don't know it's 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 intent. It, it's completely, um, <laughs> it's completely mind bending to try and imagine it. But I do love tracing all the streams that come off it to show what what help. You know, like I love that uh, putting the Earth Crisis because I mean, you look at all those early straight edge vegan edge metal bands they're all wearing yot and turning point and whatever shirts you know because that's what they're into going further you know so and it you know lots of people say like and and ben i think just said it like straight edge was waning on a on a um national scale of people realizing what it was or adhering to it it needed some other charismatic thing to come along and put its stamp on it to get everyone like, yeah, that is a fucking rad way to be, you know? Yeah. Maybe uniform choice, maybe uniform choice would be thought of as more important than they already are. Like they're the flag. They're waving the flag for straight edge. If youth of today 
doesn't exist. I mean, they'd be the the band. And so yeah, you, but- maybe you'd get more bands that sound like UC and Minor Threat, unless obviously no bands that sound like UC today. Okay, well, UC definitely influences Instead, right? So you have that. Absolutely. But but when when Mike Gitter was on the uh, the Patreon pod for uh, the Uniform Choice, the Pat Longry episode, you know, he was saying that, you know, possibly a lot of the success for by the time the Uniform Choice toured, you know, they did all those East Coast and middle of the country dates with Youth of the Day, you know, and Youth of the Day was already on fire by then, you know? So, like, I don't know, is is Uniform Choice touring in 87, you know, when he's talking about the, it's the Where Are the Bald Guys tour and people being like, what is this? You know, like still being stoked, but maybe like it just not being what it was in 85 or 86. I don't know if Uniform Choice like creates the same fire, you know, with yeah, probably right. Definitely not. You know, probably right. And <laughs> it just wouldn't be as big of a deal if you yeah. hadn't been around and there'd be a lot less colored vinyl. Yeah. Joe, do you have an opinion on this? And then also, I just want to say, like, I do enjoy, you know, even if you're not talking a lot, I feel like you're in the corner with like a club. And if we step <laughs> out of line, like you're there to smack us. <laughs> you know, I think. Uh, all all the threads that you guys talk about, if 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 Youth of Today doesn't exist, all of those things certainly disappear. But. I I think. I think the time was primed for something like that to happen no matter what. Um, because, because of all the tough guy fight bullshit that was happening, like people wanted something positive. Um, so, so, so it might not be youth of today and it might sound completely different and then it might be no, uh, revelation and, we might not get earth crisis and metal core and all that stuff or, you know, or we might get it, you know, I mean, it's really hard to say, uh, but I think I, I just remember, you know, those, those days, uniform choice. And, and um, there were a few other straight edge bands, you know, that, I mean, they might not have, made a huge impact, you know, walk proud and, you know, a few of those other guys. Um, I, I, I I think the California scene would have happened regardless of youth of today. Yeah. Cause maybe, yeah, I I agree. Cause you're still, um, but, but certainly not the impact that, that you, that, that we're talking about here, but national impact. But but maybe maybe it does happen. Maybe maybe they are they become you know like you said maybe they become the catalyst that that carries that message back east and you know and then we get this this whole other thing coming out of New York and you know Boston and DC uh, uh, you know more more from DC. Well, you just you said today like they scratch both itches right because I read somewhere yeah. once that like their you know their mission statement was basically like take the seven seconds message. With like the agnostic front victim and pain, like Sonic power, yeah, you know, and it's like those two meshed up are so fucking special, you know. Where like if you if you think about it, instead sonically, it's very in the seven seconds lane, but it yeah. doesn't have like that gnarly aggression, you know. And and the other bands doing it like, you know, America's Hardcore just does a demo. Uh, Justice League, their sound like evolves on every record. Um, 
but I think, I think chain of strength still is going to happen, you know, I, regardless of you today, Ben, what do you think about that? Cause chain of strength is going to come out off of UC and, uh, and instead, right. And they, I don't think they would have sounded the way they ended up sounding, but there would have, those guys were, those guys were already playing in bands. So they would have, you know, let's say they all played in a band together and they probably wouldn't be called chain of strength, you know, youth of today. I, I actually, I don't know. Like it just, they, they are absolutely a rev band. Like obviously they're influenced by other things too, like Boston and DC, but they are a rev band, you know? Um, so they, their sound would have been different. Those guys still would have been playing in bands in, in, in the Inland Empire and, and still would have been making uh, I believe very good records, but yeah. I, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be what it, what it ended up being. Okay. I think that this has been touched on and, and this is just so fascinating because, you know, there's, there's big early ones you can do. Like what if minor threat never existed? What if, oh, never existed? what if oh. Ramones, sex pistols, whatever. Um, but this one's just so weird because it's, it's later, you know, it's like, it's eight years after 77. You know, that was global such a, footprint. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. And, and we're just basically talking in American terms. I brushed initially on, on the European thing, but like, we don't really have that perspective, but they're like, obviously super influential over there. Probably, you know, like building the groundwork for hardcore bands to be able to like go over there successfully for generations to come after. Right. I mean, like right. you think about bands like, well, I mean, lots of them but ignite in the nineties, like basically being successful in Europe more so than here, you know, and, and I'm sure sick of it all, agnostic front, you know, all the big New York hardcore bands. I mean, maybe that, that probably would have happened organically just based on agnostic front, you know? So I don't know if we can give credit to uh, youth today for that, but they're definitely like another pillar of that post, like building this, this hardcore lane for American bands to tour Europe, you know? Yeah. They're the second, they're the second most uh, influential straight edge band ever. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's totally fair. Okay. Um, let's go on to the next one. This one's hard and I don't have an answer, um, but who's the most underrated hardcore band in history and uh, no honorable mentions. Everyone gets one pick and uh, you got to make a convincing argument and Ben, this is yours. So let's go to you. Most underrated <laughs> hardcore band ever. Jesus. Yeah, it's funny Thanks. how how we're. T- it's funny because this bleeds into, or f- the the previous question bleeds into this, and I didn't even intentionally make it that way. But my answer is verbal assault, and I think verbal assault. They actually toured Europe before Youth of Today, um, and they kind of mixed the political with the personal, and then had pa- so much power in their music, and they had this huge sound. They had one of the best recordings like the trial lp they had this amazing imagery they had the best name they had some of the best songs ever they were melodic and they were still pissed off and they're kind of like to me they're like this is what discord music would have sounded like if discord didn't go rev summer if like discord stayed on the hardcore path like they're spiritually a discord band like ian produced their first ep learn but they're raging hardcore. So like, they're kind of like the best of 
both worlds. Of they're like the kind of like the best of DC and New York at the time in that whole second half of the eighties. And to me, like, um, like, um, they're kind of like everything I love about that era combined into one band. And, uh, it's funny how like alone in a crowd re- records four songs and plays one show. And like, p- maybe more people know who they are than verbal assault, which is just like verbal assault, like toward the U S like a bunch of times in Europe, at least once, maybe, maybe a few more. And like, they're just this powerhouse band for their time. And like everyone who saw them said they were amazing live. And every photo I've seen of them is just like this artistically shot black and white photo where every member of the band is like jumping six feet in the air. It's like, are you kidding me? There's like, this band is like the perfect band. Like you can't poke a hole. There's no hole to be poked in, in any aspect of this band. And, and, And they're fucking smart. Like if you listen to the lyrics, like, you know, at the time you have like bands like JFA singing about Cokes and Snickers. And then you have like me, you, youth crew. And like, you might feel kind of like self-conscious listening to that when you're like a grown ass adult, but like verbal assault has that music that you like the lyrics that you don't grow out of. So like, I think the reason that they're underrated is that they fucked up twice. They fucked up in the nineties when they're all their music went out of print. And so my generation couldn't find the records really easily. And then, and then again, in a streaming era, like trial got remastered by my friend and former bandmate, Nick Townsend shout out. And like that's on streaming, but like they're taking their sweet time putting that shit on streaming. So like, um, you know, like, that's that's kind of explains why they're not uh not discussed as much as uh some of their contemporaries and like the song trial is like the perfect hardcore song it doesn't get any better than that and like you the best you can hope for is to have a song as good as trial but you're never gonna have a song better than that their final like 10 inch only came out on like a euro label as well like it didn't even come out here. It's kind of hard to get still. It took me a while. That's the only one I don't have. Yeah. You just got to put it on your want list, dude. Eventually it'll come up. You know, like, I mean, you know, that's the fun thing about collecting records is not, obviously if you have the money, you can buy anything you want, but like, you know, you set your want list plus like you have a money that you want to spend on it. Right. Like I'm going to like, I got to wait until I can get exit for like under 20 bucks, you know, and eventually it'll happen. Just got to wait. You know, I yeah, got it. exits. Uh, oh, you got it already. So I was yeah, gonna say you can get it for under twenty. Yeah, well, I already got it, but you, I don't think you can from a American seller. Nope, they're all. Uh, it's all euros. You're right. You're yep. right. So it's gonna be. I mean, you know, when you see fourteen ninety nine, it's twenty nine bucks plus shipping, so fifty four bucks. Like there should be a term for that, where you're like, oh my god, this here's the record I want for the price I want. You click on it, and it's all euros. <laughs> yeah anyway um, i got your i think it's a i think it's a great uh selection you know my love of verbal assault has been well documented on this pod and i agree trial's a perfect song and all right zach I who's mean, yours what's that oh we'll get to me but uh i do oh, rem- i just want to say on verbal assault real quick and we should toss around verbal assault to everyone but uh i remember i can't remember if it what it was but it was like 
maybe it was when Rev used to like have their catalog in like the 1990s and it was kind of like a zine. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but that was a thing, right? What's that? The, the, which catalog? The Rev catalog? Yeah, there was like a Rev catalog for the pub, public maybe that was kind of like a zine. Or no? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yes, stuff in it. Right, right. I remember like there was like you know they had a shit ton of people like do their top ten records of all time, their top ten punk and hardcore. And I swear, like Verbal Assault Trial was like on every single one. You know, it's just like it's a universally loved album from like the people that know what's up. But like for some reason, it it just didn't like break out beyond that. I don't know why. Daniel, how do you feel about that? It was out of print. It was out of print for so long. Exactly. It was never on CD to the power of Uh, many other hardcore records, while CDs were the go to listening to thing for lots of gateway people coming into hardcore, you know? Yeah. And maybe, maybe like, maybe it didn't miss me because, you know, I, I guess someone told me it was good and it was like relatively easy to find on vinyl for a long, long time. You know, so like if you do the vinyl thing, like this was available, but yeah, you're right. It didn't have like a big CD release. Mm-hmm. It, w- it was on CD, but the CD was long out of print too. I that's, remember that's finding it. At, oh, that's what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, do you love this band? Um, yeah. I mean, I remember them. <laughs> I don't know if that you helps. Ever see them? You ever no. see them play? No. Okay. All right. Daniel, what is yours? Oh, see, I was trying to get you to go next. Okay, all right, Joe, what is yours? <laughs> um, uh, Skid Row is my choice. Taking <laughs> <laughs> the Benji way out. Yeah, no, uh, I was thinking, um, you know, and then this may be, uh, you know, that borderline question that we were talking about earlier of th- that gray area, 1.2 band, but I think MDC 1.5. Yeah. 1.5. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I'm, I'm so sorry, Ben. I think MDC um, deserves a whole lot more credit than, than, than they get um, because of the political tilt to, a lot of the lyrics and then there was a bunch of junk too um but uh you know they also had they're, they're the first band i can think of that sang about you know being a vegetarian and being vegan um you know in the early 80s i mean i know crass was doing a little bit bit as well but i i wasn't really tuned into them until much later but um you know uh they weren't super aggressive and uh, you know, I, I think what happened is that they got uh, sort of tied into MRR too much that people sort of just turned their backs on them because of all the, um, I don't want to say hate that MRR put onto the public, but you guys, you know what I'm talking about, the... Uh, a little bit of elitism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, 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 that's that's the right word. That's that's what I was looking for. Um, and, and I think M- MDC got th- kind of thrown into that. Um, but I've always loved that band. I I, th- I think they deserve more. Yeah. So I'm going a, with MDC. I think it's a great pick. Um, and I know they're loved, you know. Uh, but they're just 
there should have been more. Yeah, I mean, two two classic seven inches, one classic LP. You know, it, I guess I don't know. I I don't. I never took the whole ride. Like, I never listened to like the the next album, uh, Smoke Signals '86. Like, does the sound change? It changes a bit, yeah. You know, but everyone, you know, '86. That's that's the year of change. Right. So, right. '85, '86. Yeah, maybe like I don't know, but I I feel like they're considered a classic band. But maybe maybe you're right that like they don't get the love. Ben, what do you think on that? I, I was thinking about them a lot lately because they started as as stains, um, not yeah. to be confused with the the SST band stains. That's true. And they so put out that John. That's, that's, that's another classic seven inch. So they got yeah. That John Wayne was a Nazi. Yeah. Yep. John Wayne was a Nazi. Is the A side. The B side is Born to Die, which contains the lyrics. No war, no KKK, no fascist USA. And you hear people chanting at marches, no Trump, no KKK, no fascist USA. They're reciting lyric MDC lyrics yeah. without realizing it. And I thought, my first thought was, those are MDC lyrics. My second thought was, maybe they took like a previous chant and turned it into a song. It's like, no, those are MDC lyrics. They wrote those lyrics because there are articles about it. And then I think kind of what hurt them you know what's funny this is the craziest show i ever saw i mean just the weirdest bill this is how weird the early 90s were in 1992 i saw at spanky's cafe in riverside mdc gutter mouth and face to face and i want to say the voodoo glow skulls also also play that show it's like so random i swear to like, God, I'm either, i think I'm either having deja vu or ben's repeating two stories he's told yep <laughs> okay well that was definitely a sh- show i saw because that's the only show i ever went to at spanky's joe you're um, supposed to jump in with the, the club when, uh, <laughs> no i'll just jump in with uh, i saw voodoo skull skulls with strife so i feel like i saw i that. was at that too <laughs> yeah. I was there. at the palace yep uh daniel what is your your most underrated oh you want me to go first no i did i was just i was trying to you know just shuffle the deck a little bit because we yeah. always go in a, an, an order or whatever um amenity i'm gonna say amenity don't get you know on a national scale at all any maybe even anywhere really outside of san diego any kind of uh love or respect that such great records should garner um they toured they were um, a band full of of um, San Diego um, people coming at things with a thoughtful passion, um, showing you know others that people of color can excel beautifully in hardcore. Um, pillars of the scene organizing welcoming bands down from seattle welcoming bands from across the country to come play um and putting out absolutely stellar incredible music and it's a shame that it's not available for many people to listen to and it's a shame that it's not a passed on band maybe outside of our purview you know yeah, well, let me jump in real quick on you, Daniel. Um, yeah. Just so everyone that wants to listen to them, 
they actually they do it right for like bands that their stuff went out of print. So you can download the whole uh, discography on Bandcamp for free. Uh, they have it as name your own price. So you can go to San Diego Punk dot bandcamp dot com and download the whole uh, amenity discography. See, I didn't know that. Yeah, man, I got it on my iPhone. I had Same. to do my, I did my homework before the Tim interview, and everyone check out. I think it's like episode eight or episode nine. I uh, interviewed Tim from Amenity. We went through all this stuff, and and you'll realize that like this is a classic band. Like Daniel, I I just had to jump in and say that before I forgot. Yeah, no, and and it's appreciated because now I'm going to utilize that. Yeah, <laughs> you man. know, um, but don't you don't you agree? Like, there, if you're talking about 1.5 bands, Amenity is kind of like a. 2.5 band where the the aggression and the sound is getting heavier but it's still pushing the boundaries and being weird in certain ways and you know they're really expanding genres within being a hardcore band and um i mean it, it's incredible music and if anyone is listening to this part and now they have that gateway to to get all this music please give it a listen because it is really good, and then turn a friend onto it. Yeah, they're they're Tell a great me. band, and, and the way they have the discography lined out too, it starts with the the like the later stuff first, and then goes back. Um, because the first, like, I don't want to be critical of Amenity, but the first seven inch is not very spectacular, in my opinion. Um, the self-titled seven inch. I mean, they're, they're children, right? They're teenagers. Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're trying to do like the music of the time, like 1987. They're playing like, you know, straight edge hardcore. Um, but their stuff really expands in the, the other releases. So if you download the discography, you'll see um, like, yeah, those last three seven inches they do are, are fucking great. And they, they really embody like the best of hardcore, like musically and like, the people behind them, the people behind the songs, you know, this is great music. And that's it's like, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't there. 1990, 1992 um, is the span of like their great seven inches. And it just seems like that's a, a weird time for hardcore music more so than anything, you know? So maybe it's a timing issue. If like, if this is our struggle, the Chula Vista and the breathe seven inches come out and like they're starting in 94, it might be completely different. Yeah. Or if they made a proper album, I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that wouldn't make it any different, but like yeah. a band that puts out four EPs as opposed to just like maybe one or two EPs and then an LP, like LPs seem to be like, that's kind of, that's what people are remembered by for some reason, even though in hardcore EPs are more suitable for the style of music, but that's kind yeah. of, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. fair. That's fair. So they also like that discography came out in 94, but I don't know how many were pressed and what the distro was, but I agree with you, Ben, um, because actually their musical style, actually it more lends to an LP, I think, instead of a seven inch. Um, like I would have loved to have an amenity LP, you know, but everyone can download the full discography and uh, check it out. And uh Dudes, I love all your answers. I think that I can just agree that you three are right, and uh, I don't have to choose one. Oh, you have to. Uh, you son of a bitch. Whack. You have to. All right, then. Well, I got to cheat. 
because there's a lot of stuff like, uh, you know, both powerhouses, the Florida and the Oakland, both super, super underrated. Uh, that vow is seven inch, uh, that came out in decision records. I didn't even know about it until I did, uh, the second Rob interview. And that thing is fucking perfect. Hardcore. Um, yeah. And then also that faded gray LP, you know, they just, they do such a good job of, of pushing the boundaries while staying in like that straightforward hardcore lane. Um, I absolutely love it. I wish more people sang the praises of it, but I, I do really got to agree with Ben here and, and, you know, verbal assault is probably the best answer. They're probably the most underrated yeah. hardcore band ever. They're like, great. Yeah. Because of the breadth of work plus the amount of effort they put out to be everywhere and do everything. It is a, uh, uh, it's a very incredible answer. And also, I mean, we could because trials eighty seven. We yeah. could have gone. We could have gone the route of going. You know, some of the European hardcore bands that just simply just didn't get a a look in. Yeah, from many power. Close-minded people because they're just like, oh, it's Euro shit. You know, yeah, or or yeah, like raw power. But I feel like they are regarded very high in the in the sound. Rob Power is probably like the one band that transcends because, uh, yeah, Screams from the Gutter is, is all time yeah. classic. I mean, in my opinion, but I mean, I thought that about MDC too. So, like, Joe, if you, if you feel that way, I mean, that's totally legit. Like, that Rob Power is. That, I just don't see, you know, like random kids with, you know, Rob Power t shirts, you know, that they made themselves or. That's fair. Or, or MDC patches or, you know, like on occasion you'll see that stuff, but, but for the most part, it's not, it's not the same as what you see with, you know, minor threat or something like that, you know? Yeah. That's Dan. Dan, are you a fan of force down? Nowhere near as much as the amenity stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm the reverse of you. Like I love force down. They're like the Led Zeppelin of hardcore. And I mean that in a good. I mean that in a good way. <laughs> I, I hate Led Zeppelin, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about I, a band that might suffer from being EP only. I mean, like they're doing like a double seven inch and shit. It's like put that thing on an LP, and and yeah, maybe it's. I don't know. I mean, it's just it's it's hard for me to judge that stuff because I wasn't there, and so like maybe the double seven inch is a selling point. Maybe it makes also, it more popular than if also seven inches were a lot cheaper to make than. Now it's just as expensive to make a seven inches an LP, but back then vinyl pressing places were giving you like really, really, really cheap seven inches compared to putting out the LP and the jackets and everything else that comes with doing an LP. Yeah, fair enough. And also like they let you do low runs of like the price break was at 300 yeah. on a seven inch. And also like, you know, a seven inch with a photocopied cover doesn't seem as obscene as a, LP with a photocopied cover. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Agreed. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I wish I could think of another one. I mean, obviously I think that, uh, funeral oration, I think is underrated. Like in the CD glory era, like they, they were on hopeless, like other bands were doing in the tens of thousands. And like, they sold like two or 3000 copies. You know, I love that first CD on hopeless. And I love the, the eighties LP communion lots. That's what I'm saying. Like, why, uh, why is there a, an innate like kind of stigma against Euro bands, but then Japanese bands are lauded? Do you know what I mean? It's well, I a think weird. We, it's yeah, a weird well, 
thing. <laughs> okay, well, the funeration one makes somewhat sense, I believe, because like there are a lot of classic like Dutch hardcore records. Like that's that's like a hole that people go down and can discover a bunch of of great hardcore music. Like I've never done that that like dive because I'm a poser, but like you know, <laughs> record store dudes like they're like ah. Like that's that you can dive down that hole. And I think there's a lot of classic shit and the knock on funeration would be like, they're a band that they didn't sing in Dutch. They say in English. So they might've like, that might lose a little bit of like their authenticity. You yeah. Know? I um, think the people there, there are people who like international hardcore, like the same kind of person who would get really into Japanese hardcore is also the same kind of person that would get into like Finnish hardcore or Italian hardcore. I mean, in my experience meeting people in the scene, like there is that type, like Thrash, yeah. like Mike Thrashhead, if you know that guy. Like, no, you're very right. There are um, Chad Strout is is one who you know looks across the world for interesting, great things like that, you know, and celebrates that they probably don't have the American pretension when they come to put in their music together you know who are some good european hardcore bands that people should check out dan sports well, <laughs> are we talking about of today or no of all time like all-time greats i mean if today there are some that's are still around them i think too, this, yeah. is a, this is a topic for another episode we should wrap okay all right we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll that's, like a, that's that. a nice big one that we should do some research on so you're right but daniel doesn't whiff uh, and get, everyone gets mad at him <laughs> i'm not going to be helpful on that one but we should do, definitely tackle it yeah man i agree okay um i think this is a great episode uh does anyone have anything else they forgot to say and want to slide in or anything like that I just wanted to throw in, we were talking about uh, hardcore bands signed in majors. I forgot all about the Bad Brains. Yep. Uh, I could tell you how many copies they sold of their two major label albums. Yeah, 12 or 13? No, they did moderate 50,000 approximately uh, for the rise and gotta love. Yeah. There you go. The the thing with that is, you know, did they get to live on the road? Like obviously oh. with HR, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> breaking <laughs> from that, but they could have, they toured with the beastie boys, you know? Um, yeah. You know, absolutely. Alrighty. Okay. Everyone. Thanks for listening. And again, if you have topics you want us to do, or if you have questions, go ahead and email 185 miles south at gmail.com. And uh, we'll talk to you again on Monday.